church is the redeemed of all time, some in heaven, some not yet born. The church is the home for the family of God and the seat of the government of God on earth. The church is different from the kingdom. We've never been told to preach church but to preach kingdom. When the church proclaims itself the world sees it as being self-serving. What they hear is, would you like to come to my church? How many of us wince when we hear the words, the end of your search for a child-friendly church, or worse, come to a culturally relevant church? Who and what is being promoted? Reading the Gospels and the Book of Acts of the Apostles, we're struck by the central and repetitive proclamation, the Kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus only once said, I will build my church. Neither Jesus nor any of the other Apostles preached, come to church. So, what am I saying? When we preach and proclaim Kingdom, people repent and respond with the result that the church is built. It's added to numerically. Then we are to teach them how to live their lives as citizens of the kingdom. When they in turn go out and make disciples, multiplication takes place. It's the kingdom which is priority and out of that proclamation people are called out to embrace the Lordship of Christ. The message is, the kingdom of God is here, Jesus rules, what are you going to do about it? The kingdom is both present and future, it's now and not yet. It's received now and entered into hereafter. It's present within you and flows out from you to others. And it's to come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in his glory and all his saints with him. The kingdom is now but not yet. The kingdom is at variance with the kingdom of man because the standards of behaviour are different. The kingdom expects the conduct and attitudes encompassed in the word of God to be embraced, lived out and enjoyed. When we're born again we are under new management, under a new government. We've moved from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of his glorious light. This new government is invading your life with the purpose of conforming you to his image. Religion will never try to do that. Religion is always satisfied with the status quo. Only the kingdom requires that you walk the talk. As you speak, so you are, and it's there for all to see. A church without a kingdom ethos and vision eventually becomes selfish and self-serving. Because the kingdom is within you, the presence of the Lord Jesus within. If the kingdom is marginalised and suppressed, what the church promotes and pursues becomes paramount. The command to seek first the kingdom in Matthew 6.33 is nullified. And what is sought is not the will of God, but the will and the kingdom of man. Man's hands on the work of God. Who is building the house? 
but we must always hold both the kingdom and the church in tension. God has not finished with the church. What he has finished with is the way we have done church for the last 2,000 years. The dream of God has always been to live in the hearts of his people, not just individual hearts, but the corporate heart. We're in a new era, maybe the very era of the king himself. The kingdom is a person, the king himself, Jesus. We are seeking a person, not an experience. If we can discover Jesus, we become part of his purpose and his intention towards us. By doing this, we will come into our inheritance. 1 Corinthians 4.20 seen it already. For the kingdom of God consists of and is based on, not talk, but power. Corporately seeking his reign and rule in our hearts and lives, of one mind and purpose, we become the church he intends and his glorious bride, and the kingdom is built within us and through us. The church is the visible expression of the kingdom on earth. It isn't the kingdom, it's the visible expression of the kingdom. Jesus came to put a face on God, and we are here to put a face on Jesus. When we see the kingdom, it stabilizes us. It gives us an overview that surpasses the failures and faults of the local expressions of church. Many problems in the church context lose their power when we perceive the kingdom of God at work in our midst. The kingdom provides a base for unity without compromise. We can fellowship with all kinds of people simply on the basis of the transcendent nature of the kingdom. If you believe in seven raptures, I've said it before, bless you. I think you're wrong, but I no longer need to put you right. I know what I believe and it doesn't stop me fellowshipping with you. If you hear me, fine. If you don't, fine. Love covers. How other people choose to run church becomes unimportant. We are released from criticism and trying to correct and change everyone and everything and have it our own way because we recognise that the government is on his shoulders, not ours. And where do we find that one? We find that one in Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 where it tells us this. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. So the change comes about because we move from what is self-centred in us, what we want, what we like, what we're comfortable with, to what is self-giving. From Eros to Agape. Instead of seeking our own, we seek the best for others. And we move into being Jesus-centred and kingdom-focused. 
Before we leave the issues of church and kingdom, I want to draw your attention to something that Bob Mumford says, and I may have said it before, but it's worth repeating. Because it's a sober thing, this. And that is that the kingdom can be given and taken. In other words, we can lose it. There is a salutary warning in a little booklet of his entitled The Difference Between the Kingdom and the Church and he says this. He says, his observation is that church history could be more accurately described as kingdom history because the kingdom is not in word but in power and the kingdom of God is given and taken. I tell you, for this reason, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce the fruits thereof. Matthew twenty-one forty-three. That is Jesus speaking to the Jews. They had not brought forth the fruits, so the kingdom was taken away from them. And he goes on to say, it affects the manner in which denominational history could be perceived. He talks then of the Presbyterians, John Knox, 16th century Scotland, John Wesley, 18th century, the Pentecostal movement, the 20th century, the Charismatic movement, and how they all were given the kingdom, one after the other. But as they ceased to bring forth fruit, it was given to someone else in a different form. And he goes on to say, risking the anger and misunderstanding of the churchmen, I would observe that when a group or denomination fail or refuse to bring forth the fruit of the kingdom, that power is taken and given to another. History of revivals can be seen in this light. The kingdom is taken and given, taken and given. It is given to anyone producing fruit. When you fail to move with God, he doesn't cease to use you or be with you. What happens is you are no longer in the vanguard, in the forefront of what he's doing. The anointing you once had has been transferred to those who have moved on with him. That's what church history shows us. The kingdom is taken away and given to those who will produce fruit. Salutary warning. Summing up then, the church is the local, small expression of the kingdom and a piece of the whole. The kingdom is global, vast and whole. The kingdom cannot be shaken, but the church is being shaken. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he came because he saw more than the operation of a synagogue or a church. He was seeing the healings and the signs, the evidence that the king was among them. Nicodemus knew he was a Pharisee, he knew the Old Testament, and he knew that when the kingdom came, a sign of the king was that signs and wonders would come with it. So Nicodemus was looking for the kingdom. And Jesus was the personification of the kingdom. He was the king himself.
When the kingdom comes, it demands repentance, acceptance, a change of behaviour and a change of focus. The goal of God in this time is to return the church to the simplicity and purity of her devotion to Christ. The foundation upon which the church is to be built is not only what Jesus did in securing our salvation, but what he commands now as Lord. Everything can be distilled to, down to one thing. With everything in you, love God which is the first and greatest commandment. Then you can love your neighbour and you'll see the reformation of the church that God is after. When God comes to live, says Graham Cook in A Divine Confrontation, that's his book, his manifest presence breaks out into the community. Demons fall, strongholds are cast down and the hard-hearted cry out for salvation. Faith is alive on the streets because the sick are being healed and the dead raised. Heaven comes to earth in reformation. Laws are changed, unemployment is reduced and the crime rate falls. Marriages are restored and the divorce rate drops. Miracles of every description occur as society is turned upside down. Wouldn't you just love to be a part of that? So just who is building the house? From everlasting to everlasting, the church's one foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the architect and builder. We rest in him and build on him, the chief cornerstone. He must abide as the living source of all we are and do. Jesus is the architect and builder and we come to him for the blueprint. The building code of the kingdom is obedience to the word of God by the Spirit of God. We're being built together to the intent that God may dwell among us by his Holy Spirit and we cannot attain to the works of God where God endorses what's being done in the name of Jesus by signs and wonders unless we first submit to the work of God in our lives. God's highest purpose for us is to reveal the nature of his Son in us. But he cannot do through us what he has not been able to do in us. We will not qualify for the power of God unless we submit to the nature of God being formed in us by the Spirit of God. We cannot hope to police the heavenlies until we can police our own lives in self-government. When our Christianity degenerates into divided camps of ambitious people, it destroys the harmony, power and blessing of the temple which is us. The individual who initiates or supports division in the body places himself in a very dangerous position before God. Paul said to the Corinthians this in 2 Corinthians 12, 20-21 For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you 
such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication and lewdness which they have practised. The temple of our body is holy. Our unity is holy, as is our love for one another. For the Father himself dwells in our relationships. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore honour God with your body. The world will never believe our message if our lives are marked with the same divisions and strife that infects it. Beloved, we will have lost our credibility. It's time for the body, the bride, you, to rise to her place of distinction and glory before the coming of her bridegroom king. It's time for each individual believer to rise up and become a soldier in the army of God, not just a spectator. It's time that we saw that just learning about God without truly knowing and experiencing him is useless. It's time for us each to be writing our own story about who God is for us as individuals, not living any longer on someone else's experiences. It is time for us to honour the past, live in the present and keep our eyes in the future. Beloved, we are people of destiny, not history. It is time we began to do greater works than these, as Jesus said we would. We should all be studying the word of God for ourselves, not just reading it. If you've got a difficulty in an area, study what the word of God says about it. If you lack self-government or self-control, study the word until it becomes flesh or revelation on you, until you know how to control yourself. Self-government is not an option, it is a necessity. That which has hitherto been information must become revelation within us as we study to make ourselves approved unto God so that we know deep inside our inmost being what we are convinced about, that which has, as it were, taken root inside of us. We are citizens of another country. This world is not our home. The time of having everything done for us is over. It is time to start doing things for ourselves. In short, it's time to grow into all things in Christ. Transformation, inner, not impartation. Habitation, not visitation. We have work to do.
Finally then, Philippians 1, 21, very familiar verse. For me, to live is Christ, and to die, well, that's gain. If you want to glorify Jesus in your dying, you must see and experience your death as gain. Which means that Jesus must be your prize, your treasure and your joy. He must be a satisfaction so deep that when death takes away everything you love but gives you more of Christ, you count it gain. He must increase. I must decrease. He's magnified as a glorious treasure when he becomes your unrivaled pleasure. All very well for you, I can hear you say. What do we do then when we find he isn't our glorious prize, treasure or joy, and he's not our unrivaled pleasure? Most of all, recognise that what you need is an upgrade of your understanding who he really, really is. If you knew him, you couldn't help loving him because he loves you and you can't help reciprocating that love. So you confess your joylessness and coldness of heart. Don't say it doesn't matter how you feel because it actually does. Ask him for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and keep on asking until you get it. Persevere. Pray earnestly that you would delight to do his will. Ask for a thankful heart. He understands. When you know who he is or you begin to know who he is, you cannot help thanking, worshipping him and enjoying him. This is where you just have to enlist the help of the Holy Spirit. You just have got to get to know the Holy Spirit. Ask him to give you an upgrade in how you both see Jesus and the Father and it will be the Holy Spirit's absolute delight to show you. The second thing is, don't feel discouraged. This is all growth. God takes us, remember, as we are, from one degree of glory to another. Rejoice! Be exceedingly glad you're in for an upgrade. God bless you. Thank you for listening. I do so appreciate it. We're walking off our map, church.